This is NiceAce Now, your source for real-time and on-demand professional learning designed specifically with the independent school educator in mind. A podcast of interviews, seminars, and conference talks to listen to whenever and wherever you like. Brought to you by the New York State Association of Independent Schools. I'm George Swain. In this interview with Dr. Judith Sheridan at the Nice Ace Athletic Directors Conference in April of 2017, Skylar Baylor discusses growing up as a transgender teenager who went on to become a successful Division I athlete at Harvard University. So I want to thank Skylar Baylor, who has agreed to be interviewed by Nice Ace Now after presenting to the athletic directors in Mohonk at their conference their yearly conference. It was very meaningful, and I'm very appreciative of your time with us. I'm happy to be here. I'm going to ask you, I, I can characterize uh, your background as I understand it, but I would really rather you, in a, in a brief way, talk about what brings you here and why, why it's important for you to, to be a part of a conference such as this. So I've been a swimmer my entire life. I learned how to swim the same time I learned how to walk when I was about one years old. Uh, and as I grew up, swimming became a huge part of my life. And every year I did a little bit more, I swam more, I swam faster, and it became something that I was really passionate about and something I wanted to do in college. Um, and uh, for my whole life, I had always been sort of a quirky kid. I didn't really ever fit gender norms. And I tried really hard to fit uh, gender norms in high school and be this woman that people thought I had to be. Um, so I, I am transgender, and when I was born, I was assigned female. And I never identified that way, but I never really knew how to explain that. Uh, and so after, after I graduated from high school, I ended up taking a year off due to some of the mental illnesses that I had developed at the time from all the confusion and the feeling like I didn't belong. And I, I took a year to get better. And it was during that year I was finally able to say, I'm transgender. Um, and when I started college, I had been recruited to swim on the women's team, but I actually ended up being offered a spot on the men's team because the coaches are amazing and they, they said, okay, well, if you identify as male, then you should swim for the men's team. So I did, and I have, and I'm now a sophomore at Harvard University swimming for the men's team as the first transgender Division I athlete on a men's sport in the NCAA. And the, the biggest reason that I like to speak at conferences like this or to talk to people about my story is to, to let them know that I exist. But not I as in Skylar Baylor, but I as a trans athlete. Because when I was a kid, I didn't have people that were LGBT of any sort around me to look up to or to even like, point at and be like, okay, that, like, that exists. I, ex I can exist too. Um, and especially not trans people, and especially not trans people in sports. So it's hugely important for me to show that I exist as, Skylar, as, as a trans athlete, not as Skylar, so that they, they know, other kids know that they can be themselves and do it. Love. Talk a little bit about your experience uh, beginning school at Harvard and what has become a relatively happy story uh, in terms of uh, your life as a student there and as an athlete. Harvard University has been incredible to me in that they have, all, they have consistently let me lead in what I need. So if I said that I want to change my gender marker, they were very quick to help me do that. The, the men's coach let me onto the men's team um, with, just, with just a conversation. Um, and they have been so accepting of me and, and what I need. Um, I think that that has definitely made the process easier and, and happy in terms of like the, the, linear, the linear map of it, but it definitely has been a difficult experience because this is new and I am doing things that I've never done before. Um, but at the same time, I'm doing everything that I've always done, which is school and swimming and being a part of a team. So even though Harvard is post-secondary, I think some of what um, the Harvard community, uh, some of what the Harvard community did 
has given you an opportunity to be accepted and at ease. And I do think it's still relevant to secondary and maybe even the earlier grades in terms of uh, the a school's community's response to a student who comes forward and says, I'm an athlete, but I'm transgender, and I'm going through a transition, and I want to be accepted. So what would you advise such school communities to do to make your life, make the life of transgender students uh, um, an accepted one? I think the most important first step of accepting trans people or trans students in schools is education of the, of the administration, of teachers, of coaches, of the adults in the school, because that, that then creates the cascade effect from top down of, of we accept trans people, we understand enough about their experiences to be accepting and to create an accepting environment. Because you can say all you want that you accept trans people, but if you don't know how to implement actual policies that create safe places for trans people, it's not going to mean anything. And I think, so that's the biggest, this, the biggest part of it, is being able to have that kind of top-down, um, trickle-down effect of, of acceptance and education. So in other words, if, if there's an environment of openness, and uh, an attempt to really understand transgender um, students without necessarily having a transgender student, uh, at least to the knowledge of the administration. That is what you think is the first step, a kind of edu broad education um, as to um, what it means or a better understanding of why students uh, or why individuals come forward and say, I am this person as opposed to what was assumed. So that's the first step. Yeah, I think okay. so. So talk a little bit about, okay. I, you mentioned something about how your coach prepared others in the team um, before you actually competed. Talk a little bit about that and maybe generalize as to how other coaches and maybe teachers, that, teachers can um, provide the same kind of support that you experienced. So before I started on the men's team, the men's coach asked his entire team, do we, do we want to be the kind of team that brings this trans kid onto our swim team? Do we want to be that kind of accepting? Um, do we want to be that kind of team? And the whole team said yes, and he said, if anybody has any concerns they don't want to voice now, please come into my office later. And nobody did. And that has been consistent since I've, since I've walked onto the team and since I've been there for two years. Yeah. I think that is a huge, again, from top down sort of um, effect in that he, he showed the acceptance of we can do this do, and then giving them the autonomy or the agency to say yes or no was huge but I think he led with the example of we can be this kinds of team this kind of team to be this is kind of accepting and he has always made it so that if anybody has concerns about my position on the team or my existence on the team that they should talk to him and he's allowed me to also have a part of that conversation in that he says like I've sent emails to the team and said okay this is this is what I'm doing um, I, I, and I'm taking to testosterone, I'm, I'm, I'm going through this, I'm going through this speech, and if you have questions, ask me. And he, he's, he's backed me up on all of that. Mm -hmm. And that has been, that support has, has trickled down in, 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 in having the, the team also respect me. Mm -hmm. I think that in general, that's something that coaches and that administrators and teachers can do, because I don't think it's, it's especially, especially before college, it's never the kid's responsibility to educate everybody. A kid just mm -hmm. wants to be a kid. A kid just mm -hmm. wants to live. And if so, for me, for example, if I was just an eighth grade, an eighth grader, and I'm transgender, and I just want to be a boy. I just want to be an eighth grade middle school boy. I don't want to have to explain to everybody who I am. I don't want to have to justify my existence. I don't want to have to like prove who I am. I just 
want to do school and be treated like other boys, right? And I think that kids need to be awarded that. They need to be awarded the ability to just be a kid, and it is the teacher's responsibility and the administration's responsibility to create that kind of safe environment mm -hmm. for learning. Because ultimately, that's what we are here to do for kids is as teachers, students, administrators, coaches, is to create a safe um, and a, a safe environment that is conducive to learning. Yeah, so you talked a little bit about the power of language. You also talked a little bit about, uh, with our, our larger group, about um, your feelings about the proper responses, certainly among the adults, to students who are less sensitive, who may say things that are cruel, mm. um, whose sense of humor is biting and, and, and hurtful. Uh, could you share that with, uh, with our audience here? I think language is hugely important, and I think that um, that it often goes unchecked, especially in in schools. And I'm not talking about curse words because I think kids are bound to use curse words that are that are generalized. I'm talking about words like the F word that doesn't end in UCK. I'm talking about racial slurs or homophobic slurs or transphobic slurs that are really targeting people's identities. And I think those are words that should not be used. And I think that that teachers and, and um, students, or sorry, teachers and coaches and administrators are people that can actually change that because it really just takes one person to say something um, and to make, make a change to start that. And I know that has been something, that has been a position that I've assumed on my previous um, teams or, or social spaces in that if I if people say things that I don't agree with or that I think are hurtful to people I, I will say something and sometimes to the detriment of my social liking and people don't like me always for saying things like don't say that but I do that and the more I do that the more other people recognize that it's not okay or that can it be hurtful and and it kind of trickles out that way and I think like in my situation I was the student or I was the swimmer and I shouldn't have been the one who mm -hmm. had to say that but I didn't have coaches in all situations or mm -hmm. teachers or administrators who did say things like that, so I did it. Um, but I think that you know, for schools who are learning about this, for um, coaches, administrators, teachers, they should be the ones to take that step um, mm -hmm. and, to, and to make sure that all students are protected and have like, a safe environment for learning. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna ask you a little bit about the role of parents. Mm -hmm. um, when, when our faculty or athletic directors or administrators work in the environment, an independent school environment, parents play a very important role in any of the counseling situations, in any of the advisory situations. And the communication is always among this larger group, the student and families. Mm -hmm. And I want you to talk a little bit about how you feel about the importance of family and um, the family advocacy. I think. I think that families are the most important, uh, families are, are the biggest core of a, of a child's life. And, and I think parents have the ability to set a sort of sense of belonging or not in a kid. And for a trans kid, um, I think there's a lot of places in the world that a trans kid feels like they don't belong. And trans people have a 41% um, rate of suicide. That's kind of one out of every two trans people that you meet. and that's astronomically high and in my opinion it's a huge part due to parents because parents have a really hard time accepting that their their daughter is not their daughter um, or their son is not their son and um, and I think that they that 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 can really kill a kid it really can and um, and so I think that the biggest thing that parents can do is love their kid no matter what and they don't have to understand it I know my parents have been incredibly accepting but they do not always understand me and that is okay and that's been an understanding that we have is that we don't necessarily always 
always understand ourselves. Right. And that's okay. Because the, the base behind that is that I, I have never ever felt a, like a lack of love from them. And I think that is a parent's role is to never not love their kid. Like when you have a kid, you are signing up to love the kid for the rest of its life. And I think that all parents need to do that. Stepping aside from that, there are parents that just will not do that. There are parents that are, do not accept their kids. And so then, as a school and as administrators and coaches and teachers, it is incredibly important to create a sense of belonging for the kid if it, they can't find it at home. And there's oftentimes, I think, there, there are places where you can't actually make the parents do what is best for the kid, but the school can still do what is best for the kid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an argument that you can use with the parents is that you are sending your kid here to learn and if, if, if you're going to let your kid learn, then we need the kid to be in a, in a mindset that is conducive to learning and that is typically a place where they feel happy and safe and accepted and like they belong. Mm -hmm. The other thing I, I want to ask you about is, is sort of practical issues. Um, Schools often worry about safe spaces, uh, bathrooms, locker rooms, um, kids' comfort level, those who don't completely understand transgender students for transgender students also. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any advice to schools about creating comfort for all their students? I think, again, the biggest thing that starts the, starts the comfort or the safe space creation is a conversation that has transgender in it. And that literally just means bringing the word transgender and the experience of a transgender person into the vernacular. It is not a taboo topic. It is not something to be stepped lightly around. It is part of the human experience just as any other experience is. And I think that's important to normalize it. Um, and that kind of, that takes away the stigma on mm -hmm. some level. And then I think that the next thing that's, in my, point, in, in my opinion, that is a physical entity is having gender neutral bathrooms. Because that is literally a sign that says we have thought about trans people and we have created a space that is is accepting of people who don't fit this binary or who don't feel comfortable in either of these bathrooms. Um, and I think that's hugely important in just in a statement. And it doesn't have to be like, it doesn't even have to be a statement that says we accept trans people. The bathroom does that. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, like I know whenever I see a bathroom that says gender neutral or all genders welcome or something like that, that's very clearly has to do with the fact that they've thought about trans people, mm -hmm. I'm like, awesome. And I don't use, I use the men's bathroom, but just knowing that the institution has thought about it makes me feel that much more safe. Mm -hmm. How about the locker room? Locker room, so I, I go into the men's locker room and the men's bathroom and the men's you know, fill in the blank. And I feel comfortable doing that because that's my identity and that's my comfort level. And I think that for like every, every person period has their own autonomy and what they, what is more, most comfortable for them. And, and that, that extends to trans people. Trans mm -hmm. people have several different experiences and they feel comfortable, they feel comfortable in different bathrooms and locker rooms. But I think again, having gender neutral changing places or gender neutral uh, uh, bathrooms and locker rooms is really important. Um, and that's something that my coach did with me is he said, we don't actually have the physical space for a gender neutral mm -hmm. changing place but he told me Skylar if you ever feel uncomfortable in the men's locker room you can change in my office we'll just close the door and I'll leave and you can change there um, if there's any other problem in my opinion actually kids who are younger I'd say my, my favorite age for some reason is eight um, is it they know themselves very well because at that point they haven't gone through all the middle school like social groups of this is what you're supposed to be and they haven't gone to high school and been beaten down by all the like the media they have they're old enough to have a sense of who they are um, but they haven't been washed over by the world and I think that is a really unique place where they really do know who they are and I think it's important to let the kid lead in that place mm -hmm. and I wish like for me that was a time when I really knew myself and oftentimes I go back as a kind of touchstone of what would I think of myself now mm -hmm. if I talk to my eight-year-old self yeah. um, and I think so so my, my point in that is that like kids know who they are 
and I think that it's really important to let them lead. And if they say that this is the bathroom that makes them the most comfortable, I think the kids should be allowed to use that bathroom. And um, and you aren't it isn't your place as a administrator or a teacher or a coach to say you don't belong there because you mm -hmm. don't know what the kid identifies as. Yeah. Um, and and I so so uh, yeah, I think that's really important. Our schools are very often pre-K through 12 mm -hmm. or even a PJ, PG class. So we're dealing with a span of students over uh, you know, the, the very formative years of their lives. Mm. And when do you think, um, at least from your conversations with other transgender um, people and yourself, these inklings start to become serious ones that, that the conversations should become open, the conversations students have with adults should start to become open ones. Around what age did this all sort of happen? And maybe you can't speak for everyone. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can only speak for yourself. But I'm, I'm, I think it would be important to hear because of the nature of our schools. So, so research indicates that people, all people, have their gender identity, so what they, their, what they identify as, not their sex, um, solidifies around the age of three to five hmm. years old. So that's way before school sure. age, basically. Um, and I think that it's really important to recognize that kids can know who they are that young. Do they always? No, but that's also because there's a lot of social con constructs that put kids into girl or boy boxes mm -hmm. and it gets washed over by that. So I think it's really important to know that kids can know that they are trans when they are five. And I know several, several kids who are that young and do know very well who they are and they have grown up continuing to know who they are. And, um, and, I, I, and I also know lots of trans people who are older, you know, between my age and, you know, over 30, 50, 60, and they, I have not, with any, like, with any exceptions to this rule, met any trans person who has said that they, that they messed it up. And I have not met any parents of a trans kid that hasn't said to me, I wish I had let my kid transition earlier. So I think that's a really important piece that's of information and piece of evidence that that parents, even the most like mm -hmm. like the most scared parents who say no, you will never transition, have always once they've seen their kid transition. In my experience, said, I wish I'd let my kid do it earlier. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. All right. On that note, thank you so much, Scott. Thank for you your for time. having me. Great to meet you. <laughs> you too. Thank you for listening to this Nice Ace Now podcast. Production support comes from Andrew Cook. Interview and conference support by Judith Sheridan and Barbara Swanson. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. For additional podcasts as well as information about our conferences and other programming, please visit our website, nysais.org.